This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives, dreamers, and entrepreneurs online. I'm your host, Sarah Tasker, a certified coach specializing in creative business and all things related to social media and the digital realm. This is episode 112. And I am on a mission at the moment to bring you podcast episodes on the topics that I hear and see people struggling with all of the time. I think it's one of the beautiful advantages of the work I do is that I get to talk to people every day and they tell me about their pain points with social media and with marketing and their businesses. And whenever I see a pattern, my brain immediately starts to think about how can I help here? How can I be of service? So... Today we're going to talk about Reels and TikTok and what I hear from you guys is there's kind of two camps around how people feel about Reels and TikTok. Either you just ignore it and want it to go away and hope it will or you're kind of having a go and there are some of you as well to be fair who love it, absolutely love it and feel like you've found your home but that's the minority, they're probably not coming to me because you know they've got it nailed. So if you're in either of those two camps Hopefully today's episode is going to be helpful to you. My guest today is Sophia Smith-Gaylor, who is a journalist who has thoroughly embraced TikTok and digital media. I remember Sophia being one of the very first people I saw who tempted me over to TikTok. I went there to watch her content and I was fascinated by the insights she was sharing on places like Twitter about what was working, about the trends and how fast things were growing over there. Since then, she has been using it to successfully grow her own profile and also to gain much wider audiences for her journalistic work. In my eyes, she's been something of a trailblazer in this. I haven't seen a lot of other journalists embracing it in such a wholehearted and natural way. So I wanted to talk to her about her experience of TikTok and Reels as someone who loves it and has found a home on it. We talk about what works for her how she figured that out, the limitations and the constraints of these mediums, and the differences between TikTok and Reels. And I test out here and there some of my own kind of beliefs or thoughts about the two and check whether they align with her experiences. Not all of us are journalists, of course, I know some of you are, but the lessons of how Sophia has embraced the platform and made it her own, I think are so transferable. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here's Sophia. Hi, Sophia. Welcome to Hashtag Authentic. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to talk to you. I've been following your work on Twitter and on TikTok and places for ages, so it's nice to meet in real life. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you as well. So tell everybody, if they're not already familiar with your work, a little bit about who you are and what you do. I am a journalist and an author, and part of doing both those things has meant using a lot of social media. Uh, so I'm now also a TikTok content creator. I'm currently a senior news reporter at Vice World News, so that's my day job. Uh, before that, I was a reporter with the BBC World Service, and in every journalistic role I've had, social video has been at the heart of it. Uh, now it's really exciting because social video is at the heart of how I news gather, as well as how I publish and try and get more eyeballs on stories that I right and it's also been a really important part 
social media that is and sort of the the ecosystem of different social media tools that I use have been a huge part of how I wrote my book, Losing It, because it's how I got all my contributors, you know, got all, all the stories of with with people who have experienced lots of different things regarding their sex lives. And yeah, it's been social media has just been invaluable to how I do all of my reporting pretty much. I think what I love about the way you use social media as well is because you do a job that's that predates social media in theory, right? Like reporting, but we've seen that journalism in a lot of places has kind of been compromised by social media. It's kind of been squashed out and we've seen a lot of publications struggle to match the free content that's out there. But you've bridged the two so beautifully, it feels like, that you've kind of really blazed a new path with it. Does it is that a fair thing to say or does that feel like um it's sort of what I'd always dreamed of doing once I started doing it and I mean in December I won innovation of the year at the British Journalism Awards so kind of up until that point I thought I think what I'm doing is cool but (laughs) I get that for loads of other people they maybe don't think it is so and I also professionally you know I've faced a lot of obstacles in trying to innovate so it hasn't been a smooth ride and getting that award was a moment where I thought okay no I have been validated now what I'm doing has been recognized as being interesting and important um so it was a big moment for me up until that point I was still doing all of this just thinking that well my followers like my content uh I have a lot of followers I going about my my day job you know I meet other journalists who also think what I'm doing is good and it I I was just thinking okay so so the people who don't think it's good maybe they're a minority or you know I, I can deal with them because I know what's important to me and just having that stamp of approval in an award really made a, a difference for me so yeah I do I do think that I've I've pioneered something in the UK for sure and I think it it's needed it's so needed in the industry I wonder what you talk about obstacles is journalism one of those industries where there's kind of an old guard who wants it to be done the way it's always been done big time and any news organization they should take the decision to launch on a new platform really really seriously and they shouldn't necessarily launch on every single platform I'd be the last person to advocate that But I think if you are a news organization with an existential crisis in which you are losing younger audiences or you have never had them in the first place, you've never engaged them, they're they're growing up and you're still not engaging them and you're not engaging the next, you know, the the young people who are post-Gen Z, you're not engaging them. You didn't engage Gen Z. Mm. You're not really engaging my weird zillennial, like in between (laughs) Gen Z and millennial what's going to happen and I think I I fortunately was right but when TikTok came and exploded how I'd experienced social media and completely redefined how I'd experienced social media up to that point I thought this is going to change how we consume a lot of content online it Mm -hmm. is going to get more video heavy and that is actually that is what's happened so I got on there two and a half years ago 
And in that period since, we've seen Instagram Reels launch. We have seen YouTube launch shorts. We have seen TikTok's competitors try and compete by launching their own short-form video content. Mm. So um, I, I thought but obviously wasn't 100% sure that would happen simply by the sheer success of TikTok. And it has, it has come true. And I guess your own experience of it, it's that thing where when you find yourself being drawn into a type of media, you very quickly realise that that's going to be a replicable experience for other users. Yeah, and I have a lot of experience prior to TikTok working in social media journalism. So I remember my first BBC job, I was running Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. When I joined the BBC World Service a year into my journalism career, I launched, in my job interview, I said, why doesn't the BBC World Service have an Instagram account? Like, they should have one. This would be really good for engaging the younger audiences and younger female audiences. That is a target for us. Let's go on there. And then when I got the job, they said, you know how in your job interview you pitched it? Yeah, (laughs) go do now. Here you go. Um, so I launched it. And the first year I got 60,000 followers for it, which I was really proud of because I ran it single-handedly. Amazing. Um, I wasn't given any additional team support, really. And I, I saw how hard that was. And I wasn't, I was an aspiring reporter then. I wasn't a full-time reporter, but I was already the sort of germination of me starting to use Instagram to get stories or to try and build a follower base for the kind of stories I worked on had already begun. And that's how I found you. You know, I found you because I was so desperate for information about how to grow authentic Instagram accounts, both personally as a working journalist, but also in my professional capacity, trying to, you know, raise a baby Instagram account branded account from scratch yeah both both of them demanded sort of completely different disciplines yeah perhaps is a good way to describe it so I'd already I already knew about all of these kinds of things then TikTok comes along and I haven't stopped using Twitter and Instagram I use them loads and Instagram certainly was really important for writing my book because it's how I DM'd people and I did regular call-outs on my stories. That's been a, one of the most useful tools for me, journalistically, actually. Stories way more so than static posts. Fascinating, um, actually. Uh, yeah, and now that Instagram Reels has come in, Instagram Reels has become the best way for me to tell my stories, probably because I have accrued a TikTok audience. People are used to seeing me in vertical video, mm. but... Um, I, from some trial and error with my account, I can just tell that a reel of me telling my story is going to do better than me trying to make a snazzy carousel or infographic of my story. People want to see me talk about what I've found. And uh, it's interesting how few journalists are still doing this. So even though they may not be on TikTok, but they are on Instagram, they're not necessarily pivoting to doing what in the business you'd call a piece to camera Mm. in television journalism we're long used to talking to camera saying ah but this is happening blah and you know in in tv voice and you can convert that to instagram voice and you can do a similar thing on instagram but but, uh i mean i'm still i think 
pretty much one of the only people I know who does it. Yeah, you're the one, you're the only person I found that does it, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> the way I've started to teach reels to people and really Instagram in general is to think of your story as kind of the germ of the content and then everything else is just packaging. So you could package it as a grid post, a carousel, you could package it as stories or you could package it as a reel. And so the question you then need to ask yourself is like, how is this best packaged to be received on the other end? And it's that's what you found is like the packaging that works the best for your story is you just telling it to camera makes so much sense because when you go into any of these apps video is so noisy it grabs you so quickly especially if it's you know someone looking at you and talking to you yes a hundred percent uh yeah I completely agree with you so I'm interested when you talk about building your own personal brand as well as building this kind of professional accounts that you've been responsible for because again that's something I think a lot of journalists have been slow to pick up on, not all of them by any means, but a lot of people realising that establishing your own personal brand outside of the publication you work for has value and kind of can take you to different places. So what made you decide in the first place to start building under your own name? It was part of me always wanting to be a reporter. That's what I wanted to do. And by that, I mean author my own work Mm. you know be recognized for the work I have done a lot of journalism the work is really invisible and you often don't know who to credit sometimes you know if you watch television package you see the person on air uh, in a news report but you have no idea who edited it who produced it um stuff like that and I knew that I had the capacity to find and tell interesting stories because of my skill sets in areas like social media. Uh, I speak a few languages. I have had interesting life experiences that have given me insight into different areas where I could find stories. And this is how I started trying to become a reporter, you know, using those, trying to use those USPs to find stories that other people weren't finding. Yeah. And uh, in the earliest um point of that it's when I became a religion video journalist at BBC that was my role at BBC World Service and it was telling these stories that were digital first and weren't the usual stories you'd find about faith and ethics i.e generally speaking this isn't only BBC this would basically be all all, um, print media as well as broadcast media Mm. but often when you when you see stories about people of faith it will center on the leaders of of those communities. Inevitably, these leaders will often be elderly white men. Mm. And this continuing to platform what they've said, which is going to be platformed anyway in news media, I was very much about, okay, I want to speak to young people of faith. I want to look at digital faith expressions. I want to particularly look at young women's experience of faith. Uh, and the complexity of the contemporary world and contemporary ideas meeting with beliefs that come from age-old belief systems. Um, So that was how I began finding stories that other people weren't necessarily doing. I wasn't one of these on-the-diary, everyday news agenda journalists, um, where it's harder, I think, to carve out a name for yourself. Yeah. And this role wasn't a news reporting role as a video journalist. I was only expected to create video content around work other journalists were doing. So I spent a ton of time 
um, also trying to find my own stories. I spent a lot of time creating like a bespoke Instagram strategy for BBC World Service account that had content that only ever appeared on that Instagram account. It wouldn't go out anywhere else because it was all about platforming content there that, that was Instagram first. Uh, to this day, I'm actually the only, I was the first journalist to make like an Instagram first documentary wow. at the BBC when I was there. Um, and I'm still really proud of it, completely self-shot. And it was about um, brujas, uh, traditionally people of Hispanic heritage living in the United States who had a heritage belief of spirituality and witchcraft and um, how they were using Instagram to build community and protect community. And so that's how Instagram first it was. It was the topic as well as how the output of it was. What strikes me about that, about everything you said there is that it's kind of like the insight comes from you, the reporter, but also you, the social media user who knows what works there and what you're seeing there and what people are talking about there. Yeah. I'm I'm in the office next to uh, the kitchen. So if there's any background noise, (laughs) just to the listener, that's what it is. So bear with me. Um, But yeah, so it was starting doing those things, but I was building a bit tiny bit of a personal brand, at least within, I don't know, religion journalism in the UK, (laughs) um, which uh, there aren't that many people in it. So it was quite quick to kind of get, ish known and then um it would have been around october november 2019 where i got tiktok made my first tiktok that went viral and i kept making tiktoks and i began to find stories on there and this social media skill set combined with me being the only journalist really on the app, knowing how the app works, seeing these stories, they kind of combined to make me um, a specialist in TikTok to the point yeah. where when news stories were beginning to generate about it, for example, lockdown and the explosion of new users on there. I remember covering that at the BBC very early on because I I was clearly one of the only people qualified to tell that story. Uh, When we saw how TikTok was influencing the US election, I pitched documentaries and made documentaries around it. Um, I brought exclusives to to the BBC. I was the first person to break the story of how Donald Trump was, his campaign team was secretively trying to use TikTok to to get new voters, Mm. despite him saying all the while I want to get rid of the app um of course yeah yeah because it's Chinese so he was yeah so like I exposed this hypocrisy from him um I also broke the story of how anti-Trump TikTokers were being paid to make content and they weren't disclosing that they'd been paid which I know that you've spoken a lot about about Mm. this the disclosure of ads you know this became a massive problem on TikTok, especially because a lot of young people ascended to viral success and they didn't necessarily even know that all these rules existed. So it's not actually often a lot of the time people are deliberately breaking rules. They don't even know the rules are there in the first place. And I increasingly just kept finding these stories and finding stories that didn't have anything to do with TikTok at all. But I found out about them because someone made a TikTok about their experience doing something. That's another way I found stories. And 
uh, it, it just kind I kind of became, start becoming this content machine all the while <laughs> I'm making my own TikToks all the time about everything from my job to languages to just things I find really interesting and um that's how basically the personal brand was built yeah. have to say um lockdown helped in that I had additional free time mm. in which I can just you know shoot a film in my bedroom um and I also have no dependence because I get a lot of people asking if they think they have enough time to launch a TikTok account and or slash be a journalist on TikTok mm. and what I always say is no it suits my beat to do this because I've basically made this my beat yeah um and I, I have a very good TikTok non-TikTok life balance that I've established from doing it for two and a half years longer now at this point um however it takes hours of my day sometimes and different days I prioritize some days I won't make TikTok other days I will not do something because it took me an hour and a half to make that TikTok. Um, and then that doesn't even take into account scrolling, which is a, a way that yeah. I find a lot of stories and just engage with people who might be my followers, could be possible followers, might want to collaborate with me on a story or might want to, you know, tell me about something going on in their life. So, so all of that is all about constant engagement. Um, and a bit like how you asked at the beginning of this I think it's really important it's been very important for me to do that as a journalist not all journalists identify this existential need of I should be making stories that interest younger audiences right. I should be connecting with younger viewers I mean, most most of the journalists my own age never mind people older than me um there isn't necessarily this will or this this drive to properly launch ourselves onto these platforms because the barrier of entry is quite high. I started off as a social media journalist so the barrier of entry for me has been way lower. But for those of us for whom it's not what we've been directly yeah. trained in or had yeah. professional experience of, it can be quite hard. Suddenly making a TikTok, I was a video journalist. I knew how to edit video. Take one of my mates who spent, you know, is a really, really wonderful, talented radio producer who's never had to cut video, social video, it's quite a different discipline. And it's not necessarily something that you can do straight away. It takes a bit of practice. It's all these things that can block you. And something that I always say is, it's not only that barrier of entry, it's have you got any dependence? You know, have you got anything in your, in your personal life that takes up quite a lot of time? For me, TikTok's become like a dependent almost. Yeah, but as TikTok. someone, yeah, yeah, like I have, I have my fat mates. Um, I don't yet live, live with my partner. I don't have, I don't have a pet. I don't have kids. I don't have an elderly relative to care for. All of these things would really dramatically change how much I interact on social. Right. And I think what's also really key there is that it is your natural interest that drives it because it would be so hard to force that. You know, if you hated being on social media, which I know some people just don't find what they're looking for there, you wouldn't be able to pick up on these stories. You wouldn't be able to pick up on almost like the vernacular of how we speak on something like a TikTok and how you can then kind of slot into these platforms. So it needs to be organic. It needs to be genuine. Yeah. And it can be scary to be authentic and genuine yes. online because 
you're opening yourself up to a recommendation algorithm. I'm specifically thinking of TikTok here, but you're opening up yourself to a recommendation algorithm that despite the fact you have only 15 followers can put you in front of 2 million eyeballs uh, and you can't anticipate necessarily how they're going to react. You can only hope that they're going to react you know, with interest and kindness. That doesn't always happen online. No. So these, these are a lot of things to open yourself up to. And just like you said, not everyone vibes with social media, in which case, not a problem, not a problem. However, um, there'll be a sacrifice with that. And the sacrifice right. is that your journalism may not be seen by anyone under 25. A little bit like if you wanted to be a print journalist but didn't enjoy reading print media, like you're still going to be missing out on a key, a key piece of it. So you mentioned the potential to go viral. And I know like a lot of your early videos on TikTok did go viral. What have you found personally that predicts what kind of content is going to have a big audience versus not? And how have you kind of played with that? Yeah, so my caveat with this is especially if you want to use it as a tool. That's how I view TikTok. Mm -hmm. It's my tool, just like Instagram and Twitter is. Um, sometimes TikToks of mine that haven't gone super viral have delivered the tool I required right. or the, the service I required. So a really good example would be some videos I've done that have had tens of thousands of views as opposed to hundreds or millions, mm. hundreds of thousands. And But the, the, the thing I say in the video is I'm looking to speak to X. Send me a DM on Instagram if this is you and I get a ton of DMs. Even though the TikTok didn't go viral, it delivered on what I needed. Right. Because the aim is not always to be viral. It's not always to have massive exactly. appeal. Exactly. And I think there are some videos I've done that haven't gone super viral, but I've been messaged about them. So they can be not viral, but high value. I would describe those videos as high value. Sorry, just to pause, because I talk about this a lot, probably on this podcast, about with Instagram, the difference between an outreach post, which is your aim to kind of grow and meet new people, versus a post that you're just trying to speak to the people who are already there and nurture what you're already known for. And yeah, it's not failure when it doesn't hit a huge audience, if that was your intention in making that post. Yeah. Um, what would I say about what can predict success? I think, again, this is dependent on whatever following you've yet been able to develop because I, for example, a lot of my following comes from videos I've specifically done about languages mm. to the point that I, I think I've probably gained more followers from my languages content than my journalism content. And I know, generally speaking, if I make a video to do with etymology or Spanish or Arabic, that has a higher chance of viral success than my journalism. Right. Possibly. I have always had loads of viral journalism ones, but the chance of success and appearing on other people's For You pages and my own followers' For You pages, because you don't always appear on your own followers' For You pages, that, that does well. So you, get, you start to get a sense of what, which of your content resonates the most. Um, for me, TikTok works because I get to be me on it and make whatever content I want. So I'm never going to only do languages content. I love doing that, but I also need to use it for my job. Uh, and ultimately, these languages videos help me accrue a follower base that may then see the journalism. So it's all transferable and kind of cross-pollination. Right. That's, why, that's why I like to mix it up. 
and um, that suits me. It won't suit everyone, but it suits me. Right. It gives you an element of future proofing as well, I think, if you keep different topics in there because you don't know what your next big interest or fe- uh, kind of specialism might be. So if people are used to variety. Exactly. I also know that if I make, hmm, let me think about what can predict success. So you want something called high content density. You want quite a lot of action or information that's highly engaging, packed into every second. You want a really punchy first three to five seconds. Um, When I studied broadcast journalism, I was told with television packages, when you make them, uh, my professor said to me, it's orgasm first, foreplay later. That's the structure. (laughs) And um, I actually think that's a truer mantra for social video than it is even for television packages. You you lead in with the most powerful image or, or shot and the most powerful quote or... A re- really good hook. Same for a caption, right? You want to start with the bang. Start with the bang, yeah. And there is there are so many TikToks that are like TikTok guides to this. I'm sure if you searched on TikTok hooks for starting TikToks, that's probably some content that someone's made at some point. Uh, loads of really good marketing, social media yeah, marketing style yeah. videos on there that you, that you can watch that I'd recommend. Do you have a sense... When you have a story and you're like, okay, I'm going to make this into a TikTok, do you know, kind of deep down, you're like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Like, people are going to love this. Yeah. So not all of my articles that I write become TikToks. There are some, sometimes I get a sense of, hmm, nah, I, I think, yeah, this was a good story to do, but it's not it's necessarily... Not a TikTok one. It's not necessarily a TikTok one, yeah. And sometimes that could be dependent on, this is a story all about being in this place and if I'm not in this place with footage from this place do I really want to do it right, you know I'll, yeah. these, are, these are some things that I will take into consideration I I've done some recent reporting on anti-abortion groups in the UK and that that reporting did well before the news of Roe versus Wade being overturned but my goodness the content that I've made after it being overturned not only has the original video from over a month ago been boosted mm. because lots of been engaging with it I did a new video about a kind of follow-up to that story simply of what the, the group I'd investigated how they've reacted to the overturning it did really really well on it did really really well on TikTok and Instagram reels it's still performing really well for my account it's had 30,000 views on reels which uh it would be unusual for me that's quite high uh, conversely the videos had over 400,000 views on TikTok to give a bit of perspective yeah so let's talk about that for a minute tiktok versus reels i think i know where you sit on this where your preference lies why is Reels so different to tiktok gosh it's got to be down to how they feel the algorithm mm. but i think because this is your podcast i want to talk about the value of putting content on reels as well as yes. tiktok what i think is the coolest thing about reels is that on tiktok I have some followers who are super cool and kind of power holders and people of interest in their own way. So they may see my TikTok and then maybe they all get in touch regarding, hey, I've got another story for you or X, Y, Z, not really sure. 
on Instagram and Twitter, which are platforms where people with authority and expertise are drawn to, so particularly with news media mm. and politics, they're all on Twitter. They're never going to leave Twitter. They're going to, they're going <laughs> to, if Twitter goes down, they'll go down with it. Yeah. But they're never going to leave there. And I always criticize people who are only on there, which is a very journalisty thing to do, because we know that that's not where younger audiences are gravitating towards. Yeah. They're gravitating towards the platforms I'm on. And what I've noticed is with Reels, TikTok doesn't really have a very good sharing facility. Mm. You can repost videos. But otherwise, people find my content through me, through my own ability to have gone onto your For You page. People see my reels because I can account with 100,000 followers has seen it and has shared it to their stories. Yes. Or on Twitter is because, yeah, a, a, an account who uh, is known for, let's say, women's rights has retweeted it. Right. So suddenly it's not only a new audience has seen it, a new audience who's invested in this topic has seen it and they've had that content validated by an influencer they trust. Yeah, so it's a human recommendation instead of an algorithm recommendation. Yeah, so I because it's hard, way harder for me to get followers on Instagram sort of like that mm. than it is on TikTok where I seem to just pretty much every day I go up by a hundred followers, no matter what happens. Um, with Instagram, I have to work way harder, but this reel has been an example that I've done lately about my journalism, about this anti-abortion group. Yeah. It's been shared really widely and it's been shared by people who often share content like this. Mm. And I think their sharing of it is a kind of stamp of approval. And then if, if the viewer also likes the video that they've shared, they also like what I've said in it they'll follow me to see more so that's really different to TikTok where you are vulnerable to the whim of the algorithm yeah. and being someone's for you page and you you cannot rely on contacts you have established who have their own followings really you can in tiny ways like duets but I, ju I just don't think that it's as effective in this space so for someone like me, who's I've now developed some contacts in the industry and some contacts in, let's say, activism, it's far easier for me to get that content shared by them if I put it on Instagram and Twitter than it is if I put it on TikTok. That's so interesting. And it was interesting you said earlier about like Instagram was so valuable getting these stories for your book, which were quite intimate kind of conversations to have and how much... The fact that Instagram lets people build more of a relationship with you is kind of what it sounds like. And maybe that's because we also have stories and we have other places to connect with you on there. Like, what role do you think the other forms of content play in that? Or is it enough that you're just putting the Reels content up? Yeah, so stories and by engagement. Um, stories are where I'll post things about my personal life or events I'm doing that I don't necessarily want on my static page, which I see as a, as a portfolio yeah. of, of work that I've done. That's how I view it. And there is content I don't want disturbing that. Similar to TikTok, I am not yet completely 100% knowledgeable about how if I post a story to TikTok, how it affects the general engagement on my page. It's, ultimate, it's a video that's going to disappear, 
which for me feels like anathema to TikTok. It's not how I'm used to the platform. Mm. I'm used to making content and it living on there and it not disappearing. The effort that I've gone into not disappearing after 24 hours. And I think that, and I wonder, oh, if I put a story up today, is it going to take away engagement and viewers from my static mm. video posts that I have up? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what the answers to those questions are. And it's not yet worked for me. I've tried, I do the odd story on there, but generally speaking, I far prefer stories on Instagram. The main reason as well is, of course, messaging. And I can reply to Instagram stories and I can uh, do kind of polls or question boxes yeah. on Instagram and link, link posting, which I love. On TikTok, people can't message me unless we follow each other. Or I think, I think, that's the I think that's the current yeah, yeah. rule as far as I'm aware. So it doesn't work for me as an engagement platform in that respect. The engagement I do with followers on TikTok is replying to comments. Um, yes, but so you it's, can't it's, take it deeper. Can't take it deeper. And obviously, if we're talking about material such as that I gathered in a book that uh, highlights that the fact we live in a sex misinformation crisis and that people have been harmed by sex misinformation that is not countered or that people aren't educated out of through comprehensive sex ed people aren't going to tell me these stories in public comment sections they're going to tell me these stories right. in private instagram stories where they know it's a safe space so that is why there's for me there will be a limit with tiktok comment sections in that regard it's interesting isn't it because yeah, TikTok's kind of acting then as like the original lead, but then you're kind of having to draw people into these deeper forms of connection, which is no different to what we've always had to do with something like Instagram moving to a mailing list, moving to a blog. If someone's starting out right now and they have no experience of Reels or TikTok, do you have a preference for where you think people should begin? I'm assuming this person already has an Instagram account yeah. and maybe doesn't have a TikTok. Yeah. That is what's normal. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're going to the effort of creating Instagram Reels and you're not also posting them on TikTok and vice versa. I, I don't post every TikTok that I do on Instagram. Um, and that's kind of just, I still see the platforms as doing kind of different things for me. Mm. But I would recommend someone starting out and someone happy to share their TikTok content on Instagram that they they should you've got to remember the two different audiences that you're going to meet like I was just describing um my Instagram now it has some professional contacts that I've made on it but otherwise it's, it's my friends and family it's people who I personally know and then the better known you get you add up you start adding in internet strangers you know internet yeah. friends come into that my TikTok I know that a couple of my friends who are on there follow me they're all lurkers none of them make content <laughs> I literally feel like a lone wolf out there. Yeah. Um, my yeah. TikTok friends are people I've met on TikTok. Uh, they're other content creators whose work I admire. They admire my work, and now we're mutuals. It's really different to who my close friends are on Instagram, That's such who are an my point. IRL close friends. Yeah. So you've got to think how your videos, yeah, they're going to be seen by the people who already know you and love you. But how are you going to reach the people who don't know you and love you? That's what TikTok is likely going to turbo boost and do at a far speedier rate than Instagram Reels alone. That's why I would yeah. advise. I think it'd be silly not to do both. It also gives you that really valuable feedback then on TikTok that is harder to get these days on Instagram where 
something does well or doesn't do well and that's data that you can really look at for making more content so you can very quickly start to kind of establish what works and what doesn't work for you I suspect a lot of people are listening and thinking oh I'll start on TikTok then because they're much more comfortable trying new things away from the people that know us it's a fascinating phenomenon actually that like we're more comfortable being vulnerable away in the face of strangers than we are in the face of the mums at the school gates or the people from work I would suggest to anyone who wants to create content on both I personally edit outside of the app I edit using a system that I've been using for a long time at the BBC so I no longer make videos for my job at Vice but I do make TikToks for Vice if that makes sense like I make my own you know I do my own I shoot and edit my own videos if I'm going to be on Vice's TikTok or my own TikTok. So that's now the only video content I produce. And I use Final Cut Pro. That's what I'm, I was trained at the BBC to use and it's what I'm happiest using. Um, it's like a one-time, not insignificant purchase. Mm-hmm. I, I decided that was better than the subscription for Premiere Pro, which I was trained in when I was... 22 but now kind of forgotten and I'm just I find Final Cut Pro far quicker to use for me speed is really important I don't have a ton of time in my day to make TikToks so the more efficient that can be the better and the reason I really advise editing outside the app is because you you then create a video that's ready for deployment on both TikTok and Instagram yes if you shoot video in TikTok and you cut it in TikTok um it then uploads and when you you take it off the app, it's got the TikTok watermark on it. So you'd either have to faff around with something that will remove the watermark for you, but will probably lead to some quality compression that you don't want. And Instagram have said that they don't promote videos with that watermark on as much. Exactly. Exactly. Which is fascinating. If people are wondering about um, other ways to edit out of the apps, I would recommend Splice as an app that I've had success with and also there's one called Templi. they're both kind of on your phone if you want somewhere easy to start yeah when I'm on the go and I can't edit with Final Cut Pro on my laptop I edit with CapCut on my phone CapCut I will put the links to these in the show notes so people can check them out because I yeah completely agree so the other thing I think is really interesting and the other piece of advice I've started to give to people is if you don't know where to start with reels I find personally the TikTok algorithm is better at showing you a wide variety of content to give you ideas. Yes, for learning, 100%. That's really good advice. Yeah, and I don't know why that is. I've kind of got theories that maybe more of the Instagram content is being made by people who feel like they have to or they're trying to kind of imitate what they think a reel should be, whereas TikTok still has a lot of energy around innovation and kind of, oh, I'll just try something out that kind of freedom I don't know if you would agree it it, the algorithm is simply better at showing you content you enjoy it really is that's why it's exploded the way it has done it's like yes if you go in there if it's your first time in TikTok you'll probably see a load of stuff you're like what the hell is this but very quickly it will start to kind of notice what you're paying attention to and show you more and more of it and make scarily accurate guesses as to what else you're gonna yeah yeah big time yeah. So earlier on, you said on TikTok, you get to be you, you got to be, I got to be me on TikTok. And I'm wondering how 
you found a way to be comfortable with that. I know there's a lot of people listening who feel like as soon as a camera's on them, they have to be something else. They're trying to kind of please the entire internet with everything they say and not step out of anyone's kind of, uh, like not step on anyone's toes, not offend anybody. What for you has been the fuel to kind of just sit in front of the camera and tell your story? Yeah, you can't be having all those insecurities. You just can't. Like you have to throw them in the bin. I... If I if I had all those thoughts running through my mind, there's no way I'd be able to make a TikTok either. No. So it is just about having the confidence that what you have to say and the story that you have to tell is worth telling. Hopefully you're someone who spent enough time on the internet to get a sense of how not to offend people, just like how in your day-to-day offline life, you get a sense of how not to offend right. people. Yes. <laughs> I don't think these are mysterious skills that I've somehow clicked the black magic for. Like this is just about figuring out what it is you want to say and why you're the best person to say it. Yes. So that's, that. your confidence has to come from, from that, I think. I also have to caveat, I have broadcast journalism training. I was trained to speak on air or in front of a camera. I did have that training. I do not, uh, I have to acknowledge it Mm. as helping me, giving me transferable skills that I apply to this. Do I still get nervous sometimes when I put a TikTok out that I think could be a little bit controversial? Yes. Uh, you know, you don't like lose all of these sensitivities and sensibilities, but you just have to prioritize what's important. And what's important is that people see the journalism I do. That's what's important. Um, and that importance knocks all these other things out, out, right. out of question. And that speaks to like the importance of putting out content that really connects with you and is authentic to you again. Because if you're just trying to put out content because you think it'll grow your following and it's not something that you actually want to talk about. It's going to be much harder to have that kind of sense of purpose to overcome the fear. Purpose. That's the word. That's the word. That's what we all need on Instagram and beyond. So Sophia, what's next for you? I feel like this is opening so many doors. Do you even know? (laughs) I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I still haven't been in my vice world news job for a year. It's been nearly a year. So I still feel like I'm just getting into my groove of what my reporting beats look like and what I get known for covering and how I do that across platforms, not only TikTok. I am still, my book is only two months and a bit old. So So she's a baby. Being a published author is still new and fun and really, really cool. Wait, I have a follow-up question on that. How have you publicized your book on social media? So I've done quite a bit, I guess, around the book launch. There was a lot of Instagram content because it was people I know sharing that they've been to to an event. I have been able to share all the lovely messages and posts that people have been posting about the book. Again, that's been generally speaking Instagram. Mm. Twitter, I did a big thread when the book came out that did quite well. I have done... I did a lot of um, like radio and print yeah. sort of appearances. So I didn't uh, abstain from uh, traditional media, if anything. You know, that's where I'm still trying to break through in traditional mm. media. Have you done any uh, TikTok or reels around it? I have done a few TikToks. 
None of them have gone super viral, but I know that they have driven, they've driven people to yeah. read them. I think I just, I'm waiting for the, I'll keep, I'll keep trying to see if one goes to strike. super viral. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spam my audience about my book is the main thing. So I, I'll make once a week, I may make a video that's connected to the book and then the rest of the week I focus on like I said, like my journalism or languages or other random stuff right, so that yeah. they don't feel too spammed. But uh, yes, I have made plenty of TikToks about things to do with the book. That they'll they'll definitely have like accumulated over a hundred thousand views at least. Yeah. Um the videos that I've made. I remember when my book was new and you know on Amazon authors you get kind of I don't know if you've seen it, there's a graph to show you how sales are going. It doesn't give you numbers, but it's like a like a line graph with spikes. And I could track day by day, every time I made a mention on social media, there'd be this big spike, like, oh, I just tweeted about it, or I just put it, like, in a story on Instagram. And it was so fascinating to have that direct kind of reminder of, like, oh, yeah, the more we talk about our work, the more people pay us for our work. <laughs> Who knew? The biggest problem, yeah, the biggest problem I have is actually been with sort of a bit of internet censorship, which ironically I talk about in the book, about the difficulties that sex educators have right. in trying to get their content seen, yes. or people inventing femtech technology to assist and educate by women's health. Uh, I have had experiences where I've literally written the name of the book and used a cherry emoji because there's a cherry on the cover and TikTok takes down the comment. Wow. Um, it's like, losing it, cherry, and they'll take it down because cherries are one of the emoji that they uh, assume is connected to sexual content and they take it down straight away. And actually, no, it's connected to my book that's debunking sex misinformation. People should be seeing this. Um, I On Twitter, I so I was number one in sex on on Amazon uh, one of the the days shortly after publication and I tweeted it being like I'm number one in sex oh my god don't <laughs> tell my mom um, and someone retweeted it and in their retweet the post was covered as sensitive content oh really yeah and my, I know that the publisher has to work hard for my book not to be classed as erotica and I think that can happen it is literally like it's it's journalism my book is journalism it's like you'd be interviews. very disappointed if you read it as yeah you'd be very disappointed it's all about generally speaking the harms that sex misinformation causes <laughs> and the, the truth the facts that we should be telling us that it will give us help us access positive sexual health and well-being so it's 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 a science health political social book but the internet doesn't want doesn't want to say it is uh, which is deeply frustrating and i do see how some, a lot of my content if if i talk about sex education at all in it that will 90 95% lower its, its right. um, reach on tiktok i i've seen i've seen that happen i knew it would happen so that's been yeah that's been the biggest thing obstacle of promoting my book which is why it's really nice to come on you know to come on podcasts like this yes, it's always really nice to talk about sex to here. be anywhere so I can talk about it and hopefully not have not have the content just pointlessly suppressed because that is what happens yeah I mean that that is quite frightening I know I've, I've got students who are like sex therapists or you know work with women with sexual trauma and they hit this all the time their accounts are suppressed and not shown to as many people they have to be so careful with the words they use even like you know bikini models or lingerie models will find that their content is not being pushed out and I did see something this week about 
uh, things with the word abortion in were being kind yeah. of taken down yeah. or reported. It's really rubbish for freedom of expression. It's really rubbish for press freedom um, as well. Where do you see the future for these kind of platforms then, for TikTok, for Reels? Where is it headed? And Well, in this regard that we've just been talking about, they need to talk to newsrooms more. They need yeah. to talk to journalists more. They need to talk to healthcare professionals more. And they need to implicate measures where our content isn't treated like it's immediately sex or adult nudity when it's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be simple enough to do. You could have a, something like a verification status that meant you were outside of those kind of limits. Possibly. But they don't. They haven't done that. I've done numerous stories about the amount of gender and sex misinformation that is allowed on these platforms. And when I do a Vice News report on it, the accounts get taken down, the videos get taken down. It's the same old story that they won't take it down until a journalist, you know, un- until it becomes a possible reputational thing and they and they do something about it. So, yes, so I'm always very vocal about these platforms have greatly assisted me in doing my journalism, but they provide a number of problems for me and for my followers, uh, which are deeply frustrating and block us and impede us from sharing information or from learning information. So in an ideal world, we'd see these platforms work more with us as opposed to less. And what do you think about... um... There's so much conversation at the moment about the responsibility of platforms to stop disinformation or to stop children accessing harmful information. Do you think we're going to see improvements in those kind of areas or does it need to kind of be self-governed? Platforms should be working far harder in this respect. It's a very, it's a very short answer for me. Are they going to? I, I don't know. If they, if they fear enormous fines from governments, you'd think they would. You would be... Yeah bad business plan to just accept all these fines so i will see so we'll see see. (laughs) okay sophia where can people find out more about your work and see all the wonderful things you've been talking about today so please follow me on social media as i've been describing i kind of post different elements of my work in my life on each different platform but obviously I'm the most well known on TikTok where I have over uh, I have over 400,000 followers at Sophia Smith Gaylor on Twitter I'm at Sophia S Gaylor and I also have a book that's two months old uh, published with HarperCollins called Losing It Sex Education for the 21st Century which is all about debunking sex myths and misinformation we encounter on and offline amazing i'll make sure i put links to all of those in the show notes as well so people can click through thank you so much for your time sophie it was just so fun to talk to you thank you thanks for having me show notes for this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 112 and i have included links to sophia's tiktok and her reels and instagram and her book and everything else we spoke about today as always my favorite bit of these podcasts is hearing from you guys Let me know how this sits with you. Has it helped? Has it inspired you? What else do we want to talk about? Whose minds can we dig into for all of the good stuff that we need to know? Let me know. You can at me on Twitter, at me and Orla, or you can find me on Instagram at me underscore and underscore Orla. And I'll put all the links to those in the show notes too. 
I hope you have an awesome week and I'll be back with you very soon.